and welcome to BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida and Marion, Massachusetts, hosted by Ed Shanafee, USPTA professional and international businessman. This is the podcast that researches and looks at the club management and facility side of our business. Well, hello, and welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Shanafee. I'm your host. And this week, we have a very special guest with us, a woman who makes herself known in the industry, Kalindi Denoffer. Kalindi and her father run a company called Encore Off Court, creating teaching aids and teaching uh, materials for tennis instructors and now moving into pickleball, yoga, and mindfulness. Kalindi and I have known each other for many years, meeting two or three times a year at different conferences across our nation. But today, we're really focusing on discussing with her how she came to be in our industry, how she finds it as a woman, and how she looks forward to working through and past COVID-19. Without further ado, here's Kalindi. Hi, Kalindi. How are you? I'm doing good. What about yourself? I'm very good. Uh, I understand you're up in Maine. Um, Why are you up in Maine and what's going on up there, up in the uh, cold white north? Um, well, I'm, I've been sheltering in place um, with my boyfriend and his family here. Uh, my company's based in Dallas, Texas. But yeah, it's, it's been really nice. There's a, um, about five minute walk away. There's some local um, high school tennis courts that are deserted. So I've been, get, been able to get out a little bit and, and hit casually. But um, other than that, yeah, tennis hasn't really started opening back up here. But I think it's about to be starting um, later in this month or early next. Well, that's great. And where, where in Maine are you? What, what part of Maine? Um, I'm in a town called Herman in the Bangor area, like just outside of Bangor. Okay. So about an, hour, um, about an hour west of Acadia National Park. For wow. That is. You are up there. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your, your business, On Court, Off Court. And I know it through the conferences and doing some business with you in the past and, and, and training aids, tennis training aids, but you have several different arms of that company. Could you take us through what you do and, 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 and why you do it and how you do it? Sure thing. Yeah. So we're in our 26th year um, family business. My dad started the company. He was a coach for many years and basically developed because he was trying to come up with creative solutions for how to help his students learn faster. And he developed some of these kinesthetic training aids and visual training aids, seeing all the science that shows how much that um, improves learning. And, you know, it started with one or two products out of my living room when I was a kid. I'm like the same age as the company. And, um, and it just kind of like slowly expanded from, um, from there. And um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, tennis is still, of course, our bread and butter, but we've since expanded from just training aids to also being essentially a one-stop shop for, you know, everything that coaches and players could need. The only thing we really never dabbled in was regular balls and rackets and clothing, but we've got everything from, you know, ball pickup equipment, ball machines, court equipment, training aids, youth tennis, you name it. Um, And then in the last um, five or more years, we've also been expanding into pickleball, which of course has been booming. So we've been doing been doing that as well and slowly expanding into there. And then of course we have a, you know, selection of 
fitness equipment and aids that work for all sports. And that's kind of an area that we'll be looking to expand more into in the future. Um, and my one of my personal passions is I'm also a yoga instructor. So and I played when I played tennis competitively. And yes, I was the guinea pig for all of the training aids and on the you know videos and pictures and stuff. But I did not take care of my body well. Um, so I got beat up and had a lot of a lot of injuries. And a lot of what I'm learning now is something that I feel passionate to you know share with coaches and players. So we'll be adding that to our line later in the year, starting with you know a few portable travel yoga mats that are easy just to stick in your tennis bag and including different series and stretches for how to get more balanced. Fantastic. Let me ask you a question. Encore to Offcore is such a good, uh, good name for your company because you've moved into the fitness side, you're moving into yoga. Um, but w- with Pickleball's growth, and, and I just saw a blog the other day where, you know, again, tennis is feeling threatened, quote unquote, by Pickleball, which I, I, I don't personally believe. But well, what is your breakdown? And have, have you, like, is it 40% of your sales is now Pickleball? Where, where, where's your percentage of sales and, and how do you see that growing? I mean, it's a good, it's a nice balance. You know, we're, um, we're unique in that we're a manufacturer. And then we also work um, business to business with a lot of wholesalers, plus retail. So I'd say, you know, on the retail side, we're still, um, you know, stronger tennis. um, And then wholesale, you know, pickleball is a big part of our, of our wholesale business. And we're starting to expand more into um, the retail side of pickleball as well. Um, I don't have the exact percentages okay. uh, offhand, but yeah, it's, I'd say it's, you know, it's probably getting pretty close to if it was just looking at the overall to be pretty, you know, getting to that point where from a just sales perspective, like pretty balanced, um, you know, 50, 50, but I've never seen it as, you know, my running joke with on court, off court and anything has always been that we're like Switzerland. We're neutral. You know, we want to be friends. <laughs> um, we want to be friends with everyone like Roger Federer, like USPTA, PTR, USTA. Like we don't, we don't want to pick sides. So right. Right, right from the beginning with, um, with pickleball, we thought, Hey, th- this is awesome. we never saw this something that's taking anything away from tennis. And I still don't think that, you know, I grew up playing tennis. I love tennis. I'm always going to love tennis. Um, I've started playing pickleball a bit too. And I also love pickleball. It's a lot of fun. It's different. They're related. Um, you know, I think the two can go hand in hand and people can play tennis or pickleball or both. And yeah, I've never really liked some of the, um, the butting heads that's come into play. I mean, that's I, all happen. Yep. I, I don't, I don't see the butting heads either. I think it's a different, different kettle of fish, so to speak. And, 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 and I do think tennis players, I think they enjoy pickleball. You, you seem to love it. Um, but I also see sometimes players that kind of come off the court after a few times and say, you know, I would, I, I'm going to go back to tennis. I don't think it's a butting head situation at all, as you say. And, you know, it's another racket sport, which is fantastic for our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I will say that pickleball to me has, uh, has brought in a lot of golfers to a racket sport. I see a lot of clubs where, you know, golfers after their round will come and play pickleball at one o'clock where you won't catch a tennis player on the, on the court at one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so it has expanded that. And I, I think you're seeing that through your purchases, as you say. Yeah. Totally. It's not. And, you know, I mean, I think even from attending some 
um, some different industry conferences. I remember um, one, one person was talking about how they've been exactly what you were saying with golf, like they've been introducing um, golfers and other members who otherwise wouldn't play tennis to pickleball and then even tying in some programs where they might love pickleball and then they start to feel more comfortable with a racket sport and then they might eventually try tennis or not but regardless it's still you know it's helping with racket sports in general and yeah I don't think anyone who's playing tennis is getting tired of it and switching to pickleball now you know for some people who are having um, who might be older or struggling with different injuries I think pickleball is easier on the on the body and then that's great it's a way for them to still stay active and on the court and they're both awesome sports. go on and ask you about your your marketing because that's something we do here at beyond the baselines is, is look at how we market in the industry that we're in and you are very good at it you you have a uh, a lot of social media you do when i've seen you at conferences you have your video go cam on and you're interviewing some of the stars of the conferences um you've even got me on an interview i think once but um how do you approach your marketing and, and what's your audience? Where, where do you think your audience lies and, and how do you approach them? Well, thank you, Ed. Yeah, that was a lot of fun doing that interview. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think when you're a, you know, a small family business, it's always a jack of all trades marketing approach. So, you know, like I mentioned, like we're a manufacturer and we're also, we also do a lot um, business to business. You know, we have a lot of active distributors and we're retail. So our marketing approach is, takes, you know, has to look at all of those um, components. And we never want, you know, since we do have a lot of distributors, like we're never wanting to compete with them. We want to support them and nurture them and bring on new distributors. And it's just, you know, a way to continue to, to grow the game and support more. Um, and of course, there's, you know, the social media that's, you know, really important these days, email marketing. Um, you know, I always look at it as, um, marketing is about building relationships, um, whether that's B to C or C to C, and it's about providing um, value and things that people need on the court, whether they're players or coaches and parents. Um, and, you know, what we try and do is develop creative, high quality equipment that helps fill um, people's needs and wants. And then, you know, what I'm doing when I'm marketing it is just finding different ways to share and communicate and let people know that, hey, this is what we have and, you know, we'll do specials, of course, too. So, yeah, it's pretty much just a, a variety of strategies to cover different um, different markets and different marketing aspects from, you know, from online to conferences to business to business. Now, how many, how many conferences do you attend a year on average? You know, it varies a lot. Um, uh, obviously, right now, none um, with everything that's, yep. you know, that's going on with COVID. Um, last year attended a lot, um, you know, probably between myself and then a, another representative. I mean, we at least a dozen to maybe up to 20 smaller ones, but we hadn't gone to any conferences or very, very few in the few years before that. I had some health issues where I, it was hard for me to talk for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, 
with some jaw pain after wisdom teeth surgery. That's a whole other story. Um, so it was kind of like, okay, we hadn't been out there. Let's get back out there. And then I think, you know, we'll see how things evolve with COVID and then try and find, you know, a better, a better balance, um, you know, might, you know, look at attending the top like three to four conferences, especially if I'm going to speak at them and just kind of see how things evolved. You know, so much is, is online these days, um, but conferences are an awesome way to meet in person. So I think it's just about finding that balance. Um, you know, another thing we've always done is if we can't attend a conference in person, we always try and find a way to stay connected with the conference and the people, whether that's donating a raffle item or some giveaways or, you know, coupon gift cards. So just to kind of stay connected, even if we can't attend in person. Right. I, I think I saw you last at the, the, the PGA conference, which I really enjoy. I, 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 I like it because the TIA is, is involved there and, and, and you're there in that racket division, that racket hall. But I really love going to the PGA side of things and the, big, the bigger halls because they just do it so well. And we, we should learn a lot from them, I think, because they're ahead of us as an industry. And do you, do you go around the PGA conference as well and, and check out any of your you know, producers or competitors and have a look around? Yeah, totally. I mean, that same year, um, that was the last time I attended the one where I saw you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, that was my first time watching the show and I was, or walking the show and I was very, very, very impressed. Um, yeah, I mean, we've gotten, we've definitely gotten inspired in some of our training aid ideas from golf. And just in general, if you look at the golf industry, I mean, from in the tennis industry, you know, there aren't that many companies that are specializing in training aids. But if you look at golf, they, there's so many of them and players, golf players buy training aids, they do home practice. So I think that's something that you know, the tennis industry can learn from that. And hey, how can we ex inspire what the, that's as a coach, encouraging people to do their homework and do practice on their own? Because, you know, the studies show that, um, you know, kinesthetic and visual aids, they really speed up learning and improvement. Um, so that's been pretty cool. And I mean, an, another interesting aspect, since you were asking about our marketing strategy, you know, of course, being dynamic and adaptable to the times, you know, right now, with people not being able to get on the court as much, we've been focusing a lot on the home practice angle and helping people how, how they can practice at home. Wow. Interesting. Take us through that. How, how, do you have a training aid for at home? I'm, obviously you do. Give us an example. Yeah. Um, lots. I mean, most of our, so most of our training aids, um, can be, you know, used whether you're playing with a partner or a coach or taking your kid out and they can be used on the court, but they can just as easily be, as easily be transferred to your home or backyard, whether some of them are for shadow swing or hitting against the wall. Um, you know, we have won the perfect pitch rebounder, which we actually sold out of during this time because it is such a great home practice aid. Um, it's just a, you know, light, lightweight, portable rebounder on wheels that you can set up um, in like less than five minutes and just have it either in your garage or your backyard. Um, our portable nets are also awesome. And we've seen, you know, a lot of families and parents um, buying those recently so that they can practice in their backyard. Um, mm -hmm. You know, smaller training aids um, like um, our serving sock or our toss doctor are great because they can actually be used in your home. You're not hitting anything. It's about getting that kinesthetic feeling for something. See, I think you're ahead of the, of the curve here, so to speak. And I'm talking about the curve of a swing and the curve of the business in both. Because if you watch a, 
if you watch the, the the majors, you know, unfortunately we've missed the Masters this year, and and it's going to be you know it's going to be with us in October. I'm really looking forward to that. But um, they always dissect different pros swings throughout the day. So as you're watching a, a round, you'll see you know Tiger Woods or Jordan Spieth's you know take back and his his backswing, and then they they show diagrams. We rarely get that while we watch a Wimbledon or a U.S. Open. No one talks about the loop or no one talks about dropping the racket head to, you know, a position like tapping the dog like Rick Massey says and teaches. And you as a company have these training aids that actually feature those different types of, I guess, visuals to teach. And um, I think that puts you ahead of the curve, more like the PGA, more like golf, the golf industry, because you're, you're, you're doing that already. Have you had any feedback on that from, from anybody on the golf side looking for things like that? You know, on, on the golf side, I mean, some, you know, we're not, um, I'm not in touch with everybody in the golf industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, uh, my dad, who developed a lot of these training aids, Joe Dinifer, um, you know, he's, he has some key golf contacts and friends that he's been in touch with. And I know they like to talk about that a lot. And the golf industry is always amazed at how um, seemingly far behind the times, uh, you know, the tennis industry can be in getting on board with the training aids. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's always been our mission is, you know, how can we, um, how can we support tennis and the industry and grow the game? And um, yeah, I think that would be awesome if in, you know, the commentary of a lot of these pro matches, they were starting to talk more about that and, you know, share some of the knowledge and it's not, you know, for coaches to use, to use training aids to help their students improve. And of course, I mean, we, you know, we make and we sell them and that's part of our business. But I mean, my dad and I have both always said, like, it's not like you, you don't need to buy them from, from us. You can go to Home Depot and make it yourself. It's just, what are you doing to integrate kinesthetic and visual learning into your playing and into your coaching? Because it helps, it works. You're a woman in our industry. You're a, you're a public figurehead in our industry. People know you. They, they go to a conference. They see you. How do you see yourself advancing women in our industry? And I ask that because it was noted recently that only 23% of all tennis instructors are, are, are women. Part of the series we're doing is, is asking the question, why? And I'm going to ask you that question. Why do you think only 23% of instructors in, in our industry in tennis are women and, and what can we do about it to change that? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think I'd, I'd heard that figure before that 20%. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the case in a lot of um, industries that have been historically, um, historically male, you know, it's a, it's a sports industry. If you go over to yoga, the numbers are, are completely opposite. Um, so it's probably just that, you know, if a, a girl is um, is playing or in college and maybe it crosses her mind to want to, to teach and she sees that it's mostly, um, you know, mostly men, then that could, you know, that could be a little bit intimidating um, mm -hmm. and not having enough uh, maybe female role models. Um, you know, I think, I think the more that our industry can do things like having mentorship programs specifically, um, you know, partnering, um, partnering with experienced women in the industry with the young up-and-comers, I think that'll be awesome. I think the more um, the more we can approach things like looking at even the learning differences of 
you know, girls and boys starting out and nurturing that. Um, you know, we've worked with, um, with Judy Murray on her Misfits program and supplying the, the kits and, and seeing that I've gotten to experience firsthand her, her awesome program, um, Misfits for Girls, and the, the teaching approach of nurturing the girls. And of course, that's at a young age of starting them off. But I think that kind of concept of, you know, putting girls in groups together, surrounding them with um, you know, with women teachers and role models, um, that that's awesome. It's creating it's creating a safe space for them where you know maybe if it's um, a mentorship program where it's one girl and a group of of five boys, then I mean that's also awesome and definitely that shouldn't be um, eliminated. But I think there might be a, it might be a safer space if there's also you know a group of of three girls. I think some some study that I um, read a while back showing like if it's an all girls um, an all girls school that the girls tend to excel more in science and math speak up more and otherwise be bolder and more confident just because they're not no one's telling them that they shouldn't be um, good at science or math because that's what boys are good at um, versus if it's one girl who's really good at science in a classroom filled with mostly boys she might be more she might be less um, you know less confident to to speak up. Right. Good points. And let me ask, so as you said, you've seen that figure before. What what can we do other than have role models? I mean, is there a way that we could, and here's an example. I went to the the USPTA conference. I, I, I guess it was the World Conference out in Las Vegas. And one of the whole days was devoted to women presenters. And in actuality, uh, I didn't realize it until after the fact. And I, I didn't notice that all the presenters for the whole day were women. And I thought that maybe the USPTA mismarketed it because I didn't realize that they should have, you know, trumpeted it and, and made it a, a major, you know, ingredient of the, of the conference. But it was a fantastic day. Um, are there things like that you can think of where we could push gently to get more women involved? Any come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I agree with you. I think, like, I was at that conference also, and I think I noticed it, but it was more like, a, oh, that's interesting. Like, it wasn't as boldly marketed as it could have been, but right. it's great that um, these organizations and conferences are starting to do that. I know at the PTR conference um, earlier this year, they also had a, you know, a women's day and a women's forum. I mean, I think the more that, you know, even if it is just, it's the 20% right now, but the more that, you know, women can be encouraged to, to attend conferences, to speak, whether that's the organizations reaching out and, you know, supporting them in whatever way they, um, they could to help with that and um, encouraging also, you know, younger women who are more up and coming. Like I know um, PTR has their PTR young game changers and they have some women on that um, in that, in that group. So, you know, the more we can do things like that, the better. I love what you're doing with this podcast series. Um, yeah, I think just the more that spaces can be created, whether that's in conferences or online for, you know, women in our industry to have, um, to have a voice. I mean, obviously then getting beyond that for, you know, clubs that are hiring up and coming pros, um, how can they, you know, how can they encourage, um, you know, women to want to join them. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know, maybe you have some ideas of that, of that as well. But I think just as a, as a starting point, kind of making it known that they're, you know, that they, they want to hire, to hire women and, you know, maybe having, um, going to some colleges where there are female players, um, you know, there's 
probably lots of different ideas of how, you know, how to attract, um, you know, women athletes who might be interested in, in coaching in getting into the industry, but don't know how to get involved, whether they should get involved and, you know, whether it would be um, a motivating and safe space for them. No, it's, it's funny you ask about the clubs and, and I've been pushing at it from the other angle saying that women teachers, women instructors actually make more money than male instructors because they're in such a demand because there's so few of them, but also because they have a different angle on teaching. You know, probably the majority of league play is women uh, members. And I've heard from a lot of women while I teach, they'll say, hey, I, I like I like taking from you, Ed, but, you know, uh, Alyssa understands the female game better because she's a woman. And I can see that. And, and I think the clubs – um, aren't always uh, in tune with that in our industry. They, they think of other things, but they can actually look at the revenue streams and actually make, make more money if they have a woman director or a woman head, head instructor. But um, I'm pushing at it from that side, as you know. And mm-hmm. let me ask you to move on. Uh, I know you work with your father, but when you were playing competitively and thinking about what you were going to do probably while, you know, you were in college and gaining your education. Did you have a female mentor push you in a different direction or in the direction that you are now going? And, and was there a mentor that you can think about back in those days that was female? And who was it if, if there was one? So, you know, as far as, as female mentors, I mean, I was um, fortunate enough to be exposed to, you know, a lot of different coaches in the industry from a young age, just like I would, you know, come traveling to the conventions conventions, even as a, as a teenager sometime, and, you know, got to be exposed to a lot of the women, um, you know, in college, as far as a female role model in tennis, you know, I had injuries and didn't really get to play much tennis in college, unfortunately. Um, so not so much from tennis, but from, you know, just female role models in general, like, um, yes, I definitely had those in college, a couple really strong ones um, come to mind, my Spanish professor, and then a professor in the business school from Italy. Um, and yeah, they didn't, I mean, it wasn't that they were pushing me away from tennis or, or towards tennis, it was just kind of personal and life development. Um, but you know, now that I am in the industry, I mean, a big role model and mentor of mine is Emma Doyle. Um, and if you haven't had her on your podcast yet, I think she would be, she would be an awesome choice. Yeah. She's wonderful, very inspiring, you know, from Encore to Opcourt's perspective. Um, she's from Australia. We are currently, um, sponsoring her visa. We've done a series of videos with her. She's, she has a Ted talk. She's an amazing speaker. Um, and she's just a powerful, strong woman. And yeah, she's been a really inspiring role model of mine in the industry. Looking forward to, you know, the tour coming back and the U.S. Open may, we haven't heard at this point what's going on with the U.S. Open. Um, we know Wimbledon's canceled for the year. Roland Garros is coming up in, in the autumn as, as like the Masters is. Uh, have you found that you miss sports? Have you, have you missed the, this, with this hiatus? Have you missed the sporting, sporting world? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's like, it's so strange for there not to be the Grand Slams, you know, the French Open and Wimbledon, like the last time that they were 
canceled was like before the open era, I think during World War II, like it's really crazy and weird. And it's like, especially now that it's starting to be the time that the French Open is happening and there's no French Open. And I'm sure I'll feel the same with Wimbledon, but you know, I think they're, they're doing what has to be done. It's more important for everyone to be safe and healthy and, you know, hopefully come out of this stronger and with more perspective and more united. Like I think I have seen a lot of people coming together through this, um, whether that's in the industry or outside of it. And, you know, seeing a lot of the top players um, trying to support some of the up and comers, like, you know, it's just, it's just part of, part of life. But yeah, of course, of course I miss it. Yeah. You make a good point there. I, I, I've read more pieces recently since COVID uh, about the the non-top 10 players who are out there grinding, barely making it, you know, just getting enough money to go to the next tournament, get, get to their next stop on the tour. There's been some chit-chat about how, you know, to support those players. And I think that has brought, as you said, brought the tours together. I know there's been talk about merging, again, the, the, the ATP and the WTA tours recently. But I do think all those conversations do bring the industry together and and the industry actually you know a lot of times you i'm sure you see it is that that the pro tour and and the teaching industries are are very separate and maybe that's where golf has it a little better is that they don't have that big separation between the pga and and the pga um but we do but i think recently and maybe you you have a comment on that our 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 pro tour and our quote-unquote teaching instructors have gotten closer because we're all in this together yeah I would say, I mean, it's without any like concrete statistics on it, but yeah, I think that's the overall energy I've perceived too. It's, I, I mean, I feel like that's just happening um, in general. Like, I mean, we're the tennis industry, it's like a big, you know, it's a big family and whether that's at the pro level or down to the teaching pros and it's like, we are all in this together. I mean, I've seen, I think, I think you see that in general through this of like, we're all in this together. Like this isn't, you know, a virus that is just uh, hitting tennis or golf or whatever the industry might be. Um, And, you know, of course, it's always, there's always multiple sides to things and it's a hard time for so many people, but it is nice to see people coming coming together. Yes, it is. And coming together, it brings me right on to uh, our last subject, which is um, yoga and mindfulness. And I know from your social media, this is something you hold very close to your heart. You mentioned it earlier. Um, but take us through how you, your journey into the, the, the quote unquote mindfulness that you uh, are representing and that you're a part of and that you want to be part of your life. Uh, take us through how you got there, that journey, and, and, and let us know, you know, let us into the inside of your mind as to what, what you're looking for out of it. So, you know, I, I started learning about mindfulness. Um, well, really going back, like I, you know, like probably many tennis players and coaches can relate to is, um, you know, getting nervous or having anxiety in playing or in matches. I think I've always been wired a little bit more on the, you know, on the anxious side. I've choked in matches. I've had different experiences. I also had a lot of injuries um, from not being very in touch with my mind body. Um, hip surgery at 16. I had another injury my freshman year of college. It just kind of went on and on. I think it finally got to, um, got to a point. It was like the, the cherry on top was I had wisdom teeth surgery go like horribly, horribly wrong, like about four years ago. And, um, and also my hip had gone out again and I, you know, it was really painful to talk. 
Um, and that was really anxiety producing and very frustrating. And it's like, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't able to play tennis then. Like, and it, it really made me go within and start my healing journey. And I took several different mindfulness trainings, starting with a mindfulness-based stress reduction from John Kabat-Zinn, and then a mindfulness, mindful self-compassion, and then, then a mindfulness training. I became a certified yoga instructor, um, took a lot of myofascial release trainings. Really, all of this was just going on my own healing journey. Um, and then, you know, like many of us can, you know, many can maybe relate is, um, especially tennis coaches is as, you know, we're learning something ourselves, there's that natural inclination to want to share and empower others with it, even though I am very far from perfect, and I'm still learning and practicing a lot. But I just as the more I've learned, the more I want to share just like, you know, on the kinesthetic learning side, um, or whatever that may be. So, you know, really, all mindfulness is, is, um, you know, it's like we have muscle memory. But really, when we're talking about muscle memory, it's about the connection between um, our brains and our muscles. So mindfulness is about getting that mind body connection stronger. It's about being, you know, aware of what's even happening for us in the present moment. Um, you know, I sometimes had the experience and, you know, you may relate if you at the end of the day and you feel like you can feel all of this tension in your body it's almost like you've gone through the whole thing with your fists clenched you do like I've had people um in a seminar sometimes take go through the exercise of being really relaxed taking a few breaths and comparing that to having their fists clenched um and you know what we don't realize is we'll often play a whole match or a whole practice or a whole day coaching with our fists clenched super tight lots of tension breathe building up, not very many deep breaths. Um, and especially during, you know, an uncertain time like this, um, it's very anxiety producing. Um, so I, you know, felt even more inspired to want to keep practicing a lot of these tools myself and share them with others. And, you know, it can be as simple as just, you know, a few times in the day, taking a few, a few deep breaths. Um, you know, I have a lot of short, of short exercises and it doesn't have to be people think that, you know, mindfulness or meditation it needs to be like this formal um you know sitting practice it doesn't need to be that's great if you want to do that um but it can be just as simple as as a starting point i like to tell people just to um, pick one exercise one activity that they're already doing in their day maybe that's brushing their teeth or showering um walking their dog and making that as really as mindful and centered as possible you know taking it all in all all five senses um, the studies just show how much um, starting to integrate these things into into your life can help with performance, happiness, well-being. You know, on the on the tour on the tennis side, um, Djokovic is a great example of someone who you know who practices this at a at a very high level. Right, yeah, and, he, and he's written about it. I always thought, uh, you know, we'll miss Sharapova, but I could always see her doing her little yoga breath, closing her eyes at the back screen, and then coming up to serve and. Again, that's mindfulness there. For mm -hmm. me personally, um, I try to be clear of the mind while I stretch. And of course, as I get older, the stretch is causing so much pain. I can't be any more mindful, less mindful than I am. But do you incorporate stretching and um, yoga in your, in your daily routines? Yes, I do. I mean, again, I'm far from perfect at it. But yeah, I have some... 
Um, I have some routines and um, specific stretches for balancing. It's obviously also important to be stretching the right things and getting in touch with your body. Like that was, you know, another issue of mine when I was training competitively, I wasn't in touch with my body. So I might do things past the point of pain or in, in other ways that was throwing me farther off. So yeah, I think that's, it's super important if you're just doing a stretch and you're not really paying attention to it or a strength training movement or anything at all, you know, a tennis stroke and you're doing it outside of your body, not connected, it's going to be really easy to get injured, injured and you won't do it as well. Um, so yeah, if I'm doing some gentle, you know, gentle stretching, I'm incorporating deep breathing and trying to really be in touch and feel into what I'm feeling. And it becomes um, like a moving meditation. Exactly. I, I do think um, if, if anything is going to come out of this COVID crisis, I think that at home fitness, at home stretching, at home, as you call it, mindfulness is, is going to be a, a new craze. I, I can see Peloton's stock is going to go you know, up. Um, I don't think the gym stocks are going to be going up. And I think you and, and many tennis players who do a lot of fitness at home are ahead of the curve on this one, because I just don't see a lot of people going out to the gyms anymore after this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's true. And you know, what's, what, what's nice about that is it's, you know, it's hard to sometimes to fit things into busy days, especially if we're looking at, you know, tennis and, you know, teaching professionals, um, but if you're just, if you're doing things on your own, I mean, it's easy to take, you know, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes before bed, five or 10 minutes on a lunch break, like just to integrate things into, you know, into your day and build those routines. Yep. I completely agree. And that's probably one of my goals is, and I know it's your goal of yours, but it's probably one of my goals as we come out of this situation and, and try to, it's been nice having some time at home and, and time off. And I think, me personally, and I'm sure everyone out there, including yourself, Kalindi, have, have enjoyed the time with friends and family and loved ones that we've had. And I think we're going to keep that sentiment as we go forward. And I think our workplaces may change and our work schedules may change as a result. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, you know, so many people now working remotely, which of course, teaching tennis, you can't, um, properly do that re remotely. But um, yeah, I think hopefully it's going to lead to more work-life balance. Um, you know, it's been a, um, of a benefit for the environment, less people driving, less pollution, um, more balance at home, hopefully, where people can spend time with their families and they're not spending as much time commuting. And just with so many things shut down, I think it really puts an emphasis on what's, hey, what's really important, you know, in my life. And um, before I, I, I've been in Maine since March, but, um, before I was there, I was in, in Dallas where our company is based and, um, I like to go biking or walking around White Rock Lake, which is just a small lake close to where I live. And it's usually pretty empty, but suddenly even at the start of all of this, um, with people working from home more, it was it was suddenly packed and people are getting outside more, spending more time in nature. Um, you know, I think tennis is a great social distancing, dis distancing sport. So maybe we'll get some people trying tennis instead of the, instead of the gyms um, and spending time, you know, with friends and family and just really what's important. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kalindi. And um, again, in the show notes, I'll, 
I'll allude to your website and all your all your products and and have to say it's a it's a it's an honor to know you in the industry and thanks for all that you do. Well, thank you, Ed. I really appreciate it. Really appreciated it and love what you're doing with this podcast series and with um, you know with Beyond the Baselines in general. Like really inspiring work. Well, thanks for coming on and talk to you soon. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm your host, Ed Shanafee, and it's a pleasure bringing you every week news and views and great guests from our tennis and fitness industry. You can always reach me at BeyondTheBaselines at gmail.com or by phone at the office on 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website, BeyondTheBaselines.com, And on our site, there's a link to our Patreon page, which has even more information for you and your club and your facility in our wonderful industry. Thanks for listening. See you again soon.